Well, for the last uh, five weeks and day make six, we uh, have been looking at uh, teaching from the Bible about uh, what about heaven. And we have uh, started with a lot of questions and probably will still end with a lot of questions that we'll still have because some that we just don't have answered for us. But um, we, we've learned, I think, uh, about heaven that there's so much to learn. And there's so much we could say about heaven. And so many questions that still will go unanswered. And so many ideas about heaven as we think about spending eternity in heaven. But I would have a twofold hope as, as we uh, bring this six week sermon series to a conclusion about heaven is that uh, number one it would pique an interest in, in you that you would learn, want to learn more about heaven and, and, and to get more excited about that home that God has prepared for us for all eternity where you will be spending eternity as a believer in Jesus Christ. And then the second thing would be that you would be more concerned about those around you who are not prepared to spend eternity with Christ. Somebody asked me after the 845 service, said, uh, well, you spent six weeks on heaven, are you going to give equal time to hell? And I said, well, we might wait till the middle of July or August or some time to, uh, to do that. But, you know, those, that's the only other alternative. It's either heaven or hell for all eternity. And so I'm hoping that uh, as, as we know Christ as Lord and Savior, and we understand more about the glory of heaven that He's prepared for us, then that we will... Um, and we'll be, we'll be excited about that. And we'll be able to pray, you know, come Lord Jesus. And I think one of the biggest issues that we battle with uh, about the concept about heaven is, is that somehow there's that misconception that we become angels, we float on the cloud and we play harps all the time, or we're singing all the time. And people say, I don't want to sing all the time. I don't like to sing. I don't want to sing. And they say, that's a life that's going to be boring. Even others who've been critics of Christian faith have talked about the fact that if heaven's going to be perfect, then it's going to be boring. You know, I don't know why that would be boring, but, but you know, for me, I look forward to it where it's perfect and nothing's going to get out of whack. Would, would you like to live like that for the rest of your life? That you didn't have any issues to solve, you didn't have any issues to deal with, didn't have any problems to deal with? I think that'd be fantastic. I don't think that'd be boring, do you? But there's some people who say, I don't want to go to heaven because it's boring. Well, your only other choice is you go to hell. And I, you, you won't be bored there, I, I, believe me. Because you're going to be twisting and turning in the agony of that fire forever. So you will be. Now, uh, I told you I love these jokes on heaven because there's so many of them. Let me share one more with you, okay? Last chance to get this in. Two women, unfortunately, die together in a car accident. And uh, St. Peter meets them at the pearly gates. And we know that's not true because it's not St. Pete that meets us there. And St. Peter said to them, Welcome to heaven, but there's just one rule. And that one rule is don't step on the ducks. And they looked around them and there were just ducks everywhere. And it wasn't long before the first lady stepped on a duck. And here comes St. Pete with the ugliest man that they have ever seen in all of their life. And he shackles that man to her and says, this is your punishment. That you've got to spend the rest of eternity with this man. So the other woman said, I am not going to step on a duck. And for years and years she just went without coming close to stepping on a duck. She watched where she went, what she did. Then one day she looks up and here comes St. Pete. And he has the most handsome man that she could ever imagine in her life. And St. Pete comes and, and, and chains that man to her arm and says, you will spend eternity with this man. And she says, my goodness, I just don't have any earthly idea what I did to, to, to earn such a handsome man as you. And the guy says, well, I don't know what you did, lady, but I stepped on one of those ducks. Ah, you're feeling good. You got it, okay? All right. Now, 
Let's look at Scripture today, and then we'll look at some other Scripture. We've looked at some of this before, but we will. It's a good, it's a good review. Um, Revelation 21, 1 through 5, 22, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And we have to remember that. That was, that was interesting information for some people. That the paradise we go to is not permanent. That we end up going to a new heaven, new earth. Okay, and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then we go to chapter 22. We get more of a picture about the beauty and splendor of heaven. And also about some of the mysterious things that are there, magic, uh, majestic things. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of His Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Well, we know and we have affirmed in this series that when a believer in Jesus Christ dies, that immediately that eternal spirit and soul goes to heaven to be with God. That is the temporary heaven. There comes later that heaven that is the new heaven and new earth uh, after the, the resurrection and after the tribulation and Christ comes and after the millennium. But we also know that the Scripture teaches, us, especially in 2 Corinthians 2.5, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we will always be with the Lord. And some people have asked me, then, well, how do we move? How does it take place and we transfer and we go from one to God works that out. And it's just part of the miracle of, of, of heaven and the fact that it's like this. Look at it this way. You start out in paradise and you end up in the new heaven and the new Jerusalem. You know, and so it just gets better whenever God moves you and takes that step. It's just one more step towards His completion of His perfect plan for the earth. And I think it's interesting that when you look at the first two chapters in the book of, uh, of the Bible in Genesis, that you find that in the beautiful creation of this world that God created, that there came the curse and, and, and the fall of mankind. And there was the creation and the fall. And then you go to Revelation, the last two chapters in the last book, and you find there is the recreation of everything. That, and God's resurrected Christ, His resurrection power, has that power to redeem and to change and to transform everything, even created nature, even heaven and earth, as long as well as our own lives. So eternity in the new heaven and the new earth will be more than any of us could ever imagine. And there's no way that we could be ever bored in heaven. So the question is, what will we do for all eternity? I can assure you one thing, we're not going to have to watch out for stepping on ducks, okay? But what will we do? Let me run through five things. First of all, we will be busy exploring the beauty of heaven. It's going to be a wonderful sightseeing thing. It's going to, we're going to stand there with mouths open for a while because it's going to be so majestic. 
When we looked at a portion of Revelation 21, particularly 9 through 19, we saw how regal it is and the splendor of heaven. And then you also look in chapter 22, 1 through 5 that we read. And what do we see? Heaven shines with the glory of God. It's brilliant like a precious jewel. There are 12 gates of pearl. There are beautiful precious stones that are the foundation of that city. The river flows through it as clear as crystal. The tree of life is on each side of the river. There are 12 crops of fruit. The light of the Lord God is its light. No need for a sun or a moon. And the street is like, is like pure gold. Pure gold street, you know. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be regal. It's going to be splendid. Now, I want to ask you something. I want you to think about something. In, in your travel, in your vacation spots, or wherever you, you've, you've been, or whatever you might, wherever you might picture this thing, I want to ask you, think about the most beautiful or the most majestic sight you've ever seen. And that's, that's somewhere in your mind. And from time to time it comes to the forefront. Now you hold that thought for a minute. For me, that's the Grand Canyon. 1989, uh, when the convention was in Las Vegas, a friend and I rented a car and we drove out to the Grand Canyon, spent about four hours there looking around. And I remember standing at the South Rim and looking at that majestic sight. And it's the sheer magnitude of the Grand Canyon. And I started quoting Psalm 8. What is man that thou art mindful of him? You know, here's, here's that thought. Whatever, wherever that majestic, beautiful place is in your mind, it's going to pale in comparison to the reality of the beauty and splendor of heaven. Now, I think about the Grand Canyon, and I have that in my mind. You know, it's going to be like a landfill compared to heaven. And what's going to be in heaven? There's going to be all that's beautiful, all that's grand, all that's glorious. There won't be any litter. There won't be any pollution, no smog, probably no pollen. I said that this morning, and poor Cheryl started caught, uh, sneezing. You know, just like the word pollen set her off. And there won't be any more weeds, no grass to cut. And it will be the beauty of like Eden, but it will be restored and it will be even better than it was when it was first created. So, that's what we do first. Second. We're going to be enriched by relationships that are both new and old. And we've touched on that a little bit. Uh, but the reality of that, I don't know that it can really sink in until you just keep going over and over and over it. Now, when you look at Revelation 7 9, this is what John saw. He said, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count, from every tribe, nation, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now, there's something about that that just. Uh, tells us something about uh, uh, what we will experience. Of course, we're going to be a part of a wonderfully diverse gathering of people from all over the world who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. That's why we emphasize missions, is so that around the world, starting here and around the world, people have the opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ so they can spend eternity in heaven. We also know that we will be reunited with family and friends that we knew here on earth. And we will know them better in heaven. Than we do here. See, in this life, we're busy, we're preoccupied, we're still influenced by sin, and that kind of drives us to be suspicious of others. We're fearful of making a long term commitment, we're fearful about uh, entering into relationships. And we know a lot of people on a superficial level, but in the glory and splendor of heaven, we're going to know everybody in an intimate way. You know, with the social media we have today, it's easier to communicate from the confines of your home or wherever. And do it with, with uh, Facebook and with Twitter or whatever else you want to do. I've said, you know, you know we, we'd rather tweet than meet because it's easier to do that. And you might have thousands of friends uh, on Facebook and followers on Twitter, but you don't know very many of them very intimately. Have you ever had a family gathering and find out 
when you've got all your family gathered in your house that, that you end up texting, families texting each other in the house? Or, you know, doing that? I, we, we've done that. We've discovered that at some time. The women are talking about things. The guys have been talking about this. You're researching it. You raise a question about a, guy, a football team or a baseball team or something going on with the golf tournament. And somebody's got the answer and we're passing along. You know what? We, we just don't understand the beauty of what relationship and all of its intimacy is going to be like in heaven until we get there. Now, think about this. Think about all the annoying, obnoxious people you know in this world. And you sit there and I got to spend eternity with them? They get on your nerves, don't they? Well, think about it. When they get to heaven, they're going to be perfect. And so will you. And you won't be annoying and obnoxious and offensive. It'll be a wonderful relationship that we will have with everybody. And we will be with family members, as we've talked about. And we will meet people that we've heard about and known about. Now, here's an exciting part that I like to think about. We'll get to fellowship with the great biblical characters, the heroes and the heroines of the Christian faith that we find and we've read about all of our life in the Bible. Think about your favorite Bible character, whoever he or she might be. You know, Esther or Ruth or, or maybe Moses' mother, maybe Moses, Mary Joseph, Mary and Joseph, or Peter and Paul, you know, whatever, you know, whoever you think about. And maybe even somebody that had an seemingly insignificant role in, in, in the biblical foundation of this world. And we will be able to get to meet them and spend time with them. What a wonderful fellowship that will be in heaven. Third thing that we will do in heaven is that we will worship God and Jesus with all of our glorified being. We will worship God and Jesus with all of our glorified being. I think that means that we will spend forever in a constant frame of mind that is focused on adoring God. Now, later on this week you might want to go back and read portions of uh, Revelation uh, 4 and 5 and see some thing, images that come to mind there about uh, the angels and the elders surrounding the throne and crying out to Jesus and saying that He and He alone is worthy of our worship. And you'll hear phrases like this, that day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And you go over to chapter 5 and you'll also hear some of the same words. But you'll hear them saying, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and had their being. There's going to be a, a, an endless time of praise and worship and celebration because of, of who Jesus is and why uh, He is worthy. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Now, we have to understand the reason why that we're called to worship all the time. Why, why, will we, why will we worship? Why will we be in that constant frame of worship? Same reason we worship here today. And that is to express adoration to God, to acknowledge His worthiness of our worship. That's what worship means, worship of God. We want to praise Him for salvation. And to do so in worship means that we fulfill our purpose in salvation. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, and God's purpose in salvation, the Bible tells us, was to create 
an eternal people of worship. In John 4, when Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well, and, and the disciples have gone on to, to the town to find food, he has an interesting dialogue with the woman. And one of the things that they discussed about was worship, where to worship and all that. And Jesus always just directed her back to, to what needed to be the central focus of the conversation. And Jesus said these words though. He said, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. See, it's interesting, isn't it, that God is creating us to be true worshipers, and that's what we'll be in heaven. And then we find a picture in Revelation 14 of the reason why. And, and, and John says, I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. See, that's just, that's just mentioned repetitively to, to remind us that the gospel is to go to all the world, to every people, language, tribe. And he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Now see, there's that angel doing what angels are basically known to do, and that is that they're messengers of God. And this angel is bearing the message of salvation and says, Fear God, that means to reverence Him, and to be in awe of Him, and to glorify Him, and to worship Him, because that's what the Gospel calls us to do. Now, will this worship be a never-ending uh, 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 hymn fest or singing of choruses? No, I don't think that it's going to be like that at all. I think there will be those times that we will worship, and we'll worship around the throne. But I think more than that, it's going to be, uh, heaven will be an atmosphere of worship. You remember how Paul talked about that we should pray without ceasing? Well, that doesn't mean, you know, that you just live a life like a monk in a monastery and do nothing but pray 24 hours a day. It means that you should be in a spirit of prayer all day long. Begin your day with prayer. Throughout the day, pray as needs come up. As you end your day, end it in prayer. And see, we're in that constant spirit of prayer. And I think that's the environment in which we will live in heaven. That it will be a constant environment of worship. You know, it will be almost like a stereophonic sound of, of these wonderful worship songs and praises. And all that we will sing and glorify God with, with our voices as we worship Him. So I think that we will also spend that time worship Him. And we will worship Him in Heaven with that spirit of praise and giving Him thanks and glory for what He has done. Then the fourth thing we will do is that we will be privileged to serve God in Heaven. Did you catch what, what um, we read in, in chapter 22 verses 3 through 5? John says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, notice two things there that He tells us we'll do in heaven. We'll reign forever, and we will serve God. Now, when it talks about the fact that we will reign with Christ, that means that we will have responsibility. And that responsibility is, and I'm not sure what it is until we get there, but it's told that we will govern the universe. We will, we will help God run the universe. You know, the Bible is talking in other places about the saints will judge the earth, and it tells us that we will judge angels. That's an interesting role in it. That's a place of authority, as we will reign with Christ. 
And it's responsibility that's earned by what we do here in this world. When Jesus told the story in Matthew's Gospel about uh, the landowner giving five, two, and one talent to different servants and, and what they made with them, then He said, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. You'll be rewarded. That's what our reward in Heaven is for. We go before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged on what we did with our, our spiritual gifts, what we did with our opportunities, how we spent our time. And, and then we are given places of responsibility in Heaven. And we literally help God run the universe. And the second thing that we do that the Bible says is that we will serve Christ. That means we have a duty, an assignment. And the word serve that's used uh, here in this connotation uh, means priestly service. And we've already heard talked about here that we're, we're going to be a kingdom of priests to God. Uh, Revelation 1 talks about that. Uh, in, in John's beginning of this revelation, he says, To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you. From Him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before His throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve His God and Father, to Him be glory and power forever and ever. Now see that echoes what Peter wrote in 1 Peter and talks about the fact that we are being formed now as a church body, as believers in that body of Christ, into a holy priesthood who are offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And Peter goes on and says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Now what's the role of a priest? Priests serve God. Under the Old Covenant they were the only ones who were allowed to go into the temple to serve and into the uttermost part of the temple, the Holy of Holies, and serve. Under the New Covenant, which we live now and then will be fulfilled, we are now a royal priesthood and we all are priests and we have direct access to God. We don't have to go to a mediator to be able to get to God and to pray to God, talk to God. So in Heaven we will be priests who will serve God. Now exactly how we will do that we won't know until we get there. But we, we will have a duty to perform in serving God and it will be in that priestly function. Now here's the fifth and final thing that I'll say about what we're going to do for all eternity. And that is we're going to enjoy the presence of Jesus for all eternity. Now we've talked here in, in the series so far about, I know some of you have said, you know, the first thing I'm looking forward to is seeing this person or meeting this person or wanting to see this or, or I want to ask God this. And I don't believe you'll have your questions once you get there. But I think that the, the ultimate desire of our heart should be that we want to center on the one who is the center of heaven, and that is Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us to redeem us and to save us from our sin. Revelation 22 4 says, They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. So we're going to see Jesus face to face. We'll be able to see him face to face. Paul writes and talks in 1 Corinthians 13 and says, But now we see a, a poor reflection that is a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. You see the fogged up mirror or a blur distorted in some way? We don't see clearly, but there will be a day that we will see clearly and we will see Jesus as He is. And we will want to be able to focus on Him. I think having His name on our forehead is simply another way of saying that's the way God puts Him into our thought process so that He is first and foremost and forever uh, there in our thoughts as we spend eternity in Heaven. Now we come to a close of this sermon series. And again I want to emphasize to you that as I've said I hope that number one it answers some questions that you have and has given you a clear 
biblical picture. You can read all kinds of stuff out there about heaven. You can hear all kinds of different sermons. Funerals are a time where you hear it. In my opinion, there are a lot of things where they get the cart before the horse about all the things that take place. Grandma's up there dancing on the streets of gold. And I want to say, no, she's not. That hadn't come yet. That comes later in the New Jerusalem. You know, and all of, all of you've got to have it in a correct order to understand it. So I hope you've gotten a clear understanding of it. Several weeks ago, I gave you a, a list of some reading material that you can go do on your own and do your own reading and study about it. But first and foremost, read the Bible and understand what the Bible says about heaven. There is a movement from paradise to the new heaven and the new earth. And it just gets better all the time. And there are things that take place in there of utmost importance. And then I hope you're excited about going. So that you would pray and say, come Lord Jesus. And that you're excited about sharing that gospel for those who have no hope of going to heaven. And you say, they have to know Jesus to be able to go to heaven. That's why Jesus is the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. The Lamb that they see on the throne that looks like it was slain. And they're gathered around and worshiping Him and saying, worthy are you. And they praise Him for why He is worthy. And it's because of who He is. As the Son of God, the one who died for us to save us from our sins. Let me close with a story from Duck Dynasty. Any of you Duck Dynasty fans? Hmm? You like that? Um, I do. I like to watch them. The, what was it? About a week and a half or two weeks ago on Wednesday night was their final episode for the season, hour long. It was, it was watched by more people than any other show, even American Idol that night. And that does my heart good just to hear that. But, you know, it's a story about uh, Louisiana Bayou rednecks. And they will tell you that's who they are. And they made it big uh, with a duck call called Duck Commander. And now it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, They're filthy rich, but they still maintain their family values and their Christian faith. Now, if you watch that show and you cringe sometimes at some of the words they use, like I do, they're words that they use in their family we don't use in our family. You get your mouth washed out with soap with kids at some times, okay? But you got to remember, they are Louisiana Bayou Rednecks. And so they're going to be a little bit crude, okay? But I wouldn't doubt their faith. I read uh, Willie and, and Cor- uh, Corey's book, and now um, the daddy uh, uh, has a, uh, Phil's coming out. I think his book is out. And, and Lifeway is even partnering with them and promoting them. They're going to be uh, at the Bilo Center in Greenville sometime later on this summer. And you can go find YouTube of, of, uh, of, of all of them sharing their faith in the testimony. But here's what Phil said in, in an interview. He said this, He said, fame is rather fleeting, as you know, or should know. He said, money can come and go, and fame comes and goes. Peace of mind and a relationship with God is far more important. So this is the precedent that we've set in our lives. The bottom line is we all die. So Jesus is the answer. And he says this, this is powerful. He says, many have told me through the years, I think I'll take my chances without Jesus. And Phil comes back and he says, I've always said, so what chance is that? Let me tell you, it's two. Slight to none at all. No, it's really one. It's none at all. Because there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus, right? That's why he's going to be the focus of heaven. That's why we're going to want to see him. That's why his name is going to be on our forehead. And we need to make sure that we have Jesus as our Savior and that others around us know Jesus as our Savior. Because that's the only way they're going to spend eternity in heaven. And believe me, you don't want to miss heaven. 
Let us pray. Father, we thank You through Your Word that You've revealed to us the reality of Heaven, and uh, You have continued to prepare us for this wonderful, glorious place You have prepared for those of us who love You and who know You through Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Father, I pray that uh, as we have gone through this time together, You have opened our hearts and minds to the reality of Your Word, and that all of us know Jesus Christ as Savior. Are we ready to make that profession today and accept Him? And we're ready to go to heaven, and we're ready to, to pray, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, and we're ready to share that faith with those who do not know Christ as Savior. So I ask now, Lord, that You move among us. Give us the, the spirit and wisdom of Your mind through the Holy Spirit, and we would be able to understand the deep things that You have in store for us through the glory and reality of heaven, and that we would be certainly concerned about our own being, and that we would be concerned about those around us. And Father, I just ask that uh, uh, we focus our lives on Jesus Christ, because without Him we have no chance. And so, Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for sending Christ. Thank You for the gift of heaven for all eternity. And we look forward to it in the name of Christ. Amen.